You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible with you, whether it is an actual, like, physical, um, leafy, papery thing, or whether it is uh, on your phone, feel free to open it up and open it to Philippians 2. And we're going to be uh, around verses 6 to 11 today. Um, so have that ready. Uh, but there's actually a couple of messages here. I'm not going to cover this all today. So if, I, if you're thinking, oh, I hope he talks about this or whatever, and I don't, then come back in a few weeks' time as, as we kind of come back into this again. But, but this this portion of scripture, these few verses here, it's like the centerpiece of this letter. Remember that Paul is writing a letter um, to, to a church. It's as if we received, in fact, we did receive a letter. I've just given it to David today from uh, Blooming Boness. And, and that letter is talking about what they're doing and say, would we like to support them in some way? It's a letter that we have received as a church. And Paul sent a letter to this church. And that's what's happening here. And this is the centerpiece, the jewel of this entire letter. Everything up to now has been building to this point. And everything after this in the letter flows out from this point as well. There's so much to bring, really important, wonderful things. But here's where I think I'd like us to start today. Where's God? Have you ever asked that question? I've deliberately put the apostrophe in there so you could phrase it, where is God or where was God? Now, if, if you're a non-believer, perhaps you're saying, where is God? <laughs> like, if he's real, why doesn't he just show himself? Why doesn't he, like, send a big signal or something like that so that we know he's there? You know, or maybe you're, you're on the fence and you're, you're just thinking, like, I want to know God, but I'm frustrated because I, I, I just don't seem to be connecting with him. Where is God? Uh, perhaps you're a believer this morning, but oh, how those doubts can erupt in our minds and in our hearts. Where are you? Have you ever had one of those where are you moments? Where are you, God, when things are difficult? Where are you, God, when life falls apart, when my marriage falls apart, when my job falls apart? Where are you, God, when I'm feeling lonely? Where are you, God, when I feel lost? Where are you, God, when I'm hurt or when I'm confused or uncertain? Like when I'm trying to ask a question of God, where are you, God? I'm I'm waiting for an answer. Why are you silent when I ask? Where's God when wars break out? Where's God when we see or experience terrible suffering, corruption, injustice, and cruelty in the world? Where are you, God? Have you ever felt... And it's okay to be honest, just in your own heart. I'm not getting a hands up thing here, so don't worry. Have you ever felt like God's hiding? Have you ever felt that? Whether you actually really underlyingly believe that or not, have you ever felt that? Have you ever thought that? Like, why are you hiding God? If God wants us to know him, why doesn't he just show himself? Why doesn't he just come down? Well, he has. (laughs) He has. That's exactly what these verses that we're going to look at reveal. But I caution you, he didn't turn up as expected. 
because I'm sure he hasn't turned up as you would expect or perhaps once because he turned up 2,000 years ago and you're like, well, great. (laughs) But here I am in 2022. Why don't you just come down? And then when Jesus came, like, was he like God in disguise because he looked like us? Is that what he was doing? Like, who's watched Undercover Boss? Has anyone ever watched that? Like, I've, honestly, I've not watched it, but I think the concept is pretty simple, right? Like, a boss goes into work dressed up and disguised as someone else and sees how his employees are. And I've seen little snippets where he's been like, yeah, I've got to let you go. Because people just thought that this was just another guy that they were teaching or training and, and they misbehaved, you know, while the cat's away, the mice play and all that. So, undercover boss. Is that kind of what God's doing, just trying to catch us out. Now, some years ago, this is a true story, there was a pastor who disguised himself. Uh, I think that's James McDonald, actually, but he, he actually disguised himself as a homeless man. He sat right outside the doors of his church with a nice TK Maxx trolley and a little cardboard thing, and he wanted to see how his church would react to him sat there. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that to you guys. And probably some of you think I'm dressed like that a lot of the time anyway. <laughs> but like, the question was, would he be genuinely and lovingly welcomed or would he be ignored? Would he be politely welcomed perhaps, but when people turned away, scrunched up faces, holding noses or something like that, what, what would he get? And then eventually he, he kind of hobbled with his trolley into church and made his way all up the center aisle, pushing his trolley like this. And then he stood behind the lectern and then revealed his true identity. I wonder how people felt when they did that, particularly if they had kind of wandered past. You know, it's a true story, but I'm going to embellish this a little bit just for illustration. So put yourself here. A church, small church, is expecting a new pastor imminently. Now, it's not so long since that's where you guys were. Uh, and though they expected the pastor like any day now, nobody knows exactly when he's going to turn up. I mean, there's been a breakdown in communication or something. So nobody knows when he's actually going to arrive. And this church hasn't had a pastor in a little while. And they're, they're desperate for him to come and refresh uh, and lead the church into a new kind of season. And so that's kind of where they're at. Uh, and even though nobody has seen this pastor face to face, A few have spoken to him on the phone, and a few people have even listened to his previous podcasts. So they know his voice, but they haven't seen his face. Even so, are you with me so far? Even so, most of them are pretty sure that they're going to recognize him when he comes, because they think they've got a pretty good descriptive idea of what a pastor could or should look like. I mean, a nice suit, perhaps. Nice, short hair, well shaved, you know, maybe a light tan, handsome kind of guy. Sorry, guys, you really like bottomed out with me. Um, a, a kind of a winsome, kind of great communicator with a tone like Terry Wogan. Okay, that's what they're expecting of this pastor. And they've got a welcome committee all set up uh, and they've arranged the flowers. They've, they've made cakes as like every good church should have its fair share of cakes. Uh, and they're keeping the church clean. Everything is ready for this guy to arrive because they want to make a good impression. But then he does something unexpected. And instead of arriving as they expect, 
clothed as they expect. He comes dressed down. Uh, like someone who perhaps has no money. Or perhaps like somebody who has no home. Uh, and when he arrives, instead of making a big deal of it and making a fanfare and going, I'm here, I've arrived. He, he just turns up and he starts asking, how can I help? How can I serve? Like, can I, can I clean some toilets? Can I serve some coffee? Can I sweep some floors? Can I, can I help people in some way? And so nobody seems to have a clue who this guy is. But there's something about him seems to attract some people to him. But others, many of the leaders and the prominent members of the church are oblivious to him. Uh, and some of them perhaps even have a hard time believing when he says, I'm here, I'm the one. And they're like, surely not. Surely you're not, no, 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 no. Sorry, pastor, this isn't the pastor we were expecting. I'm sure I saw you on LinkedIn and that's not what I was expecting from you. Now, is Jesus like this? When he came, was he like God in disguise? Just trying to see how people would react to him. Was that what Jesus was doing in Philippians 2? Is that what's going on? Veiled in flesh? Well, 2,000 years ago, the Israelites were imminently expecting the Messiah, the anointed one. They were expecting, they were keen, they were on the lookout. Uh, they were desperate for him to come and rescue and, and refresh because of the oppression that they were under, under Roman rule. And also some of their own leaders were putting a heavy burden on their shoulders. And so they are desperate for this new kind of Messiah, kind of king promise from David's line to turn up, restore what the nation should have been in their eyes. They had high expectations. They had a mental picture of what Jesus should look like when he comes. Many are pretty sure they'd recognize him. Many are sure they've got a good descriptive idea. He should be a king, powerful and conquering, perhaps tall like Saul, perhaps handsome like David, perhaps rich like Solomon, perhaps all of those things. They want the king to come but he doesn't come as expected. It's not what they were looking out for. He dressed down. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a borrowed stable. You, I mean, you know this stuff, I'm sure. He, he, he didn't accumulate wealth. He didn't have a home. He didn't swing a sword. He didn't court fame or seek out credit with the elite. Instead, he was gentle and lowly. He, he served he provided, he washed feet. Not what they expected. He, he hung out with the outcast. He sat with the sinful. He, he, he dined with the dirty and he embraced the infectious. Not what was expected. And, and those people, the, the outcasts, those considered dirty, those sinful, the infectious, those people were attracted to him. But many leaders and prominent members were angry and aggressive. They even had a hard time believing him when he said, I am. Making a direct reference, like saying, hey guys, I'm God in your midst. I am here. Again, I ask, was Jesus in disguise? No. No. The illustration falls apart here. 
because even though many missed it and many miss it still, and this is the one thing I really want you to remember today, Jesus is not God in disguise. Jesus is God revealed. That's who he is. He's not disguising himself. He's not trying to trick. He's trying to say, here I am. This is my heart. Perceive it. Understand what God is like. Look at me. That is what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to trick us or surprise us. He's not being the undercover boss. And that's what these verses are all about. So let's go there. Philippians 2, 6 to 11. And it starts here. Who? Talking about Jesus. Being in very nature, or just having your minds the word form there, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, like literally emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. If there's any ambiguity here, that's just ruined it. At the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Before I go any further, listen, this is the gospel in a nutshell. God came down, put himself into the very flesh that we wrestle with. And he wrestled with it on our behalf so that we could be free, so that we could be restored. Remember that garden that God created that was perfect, but sin entered the garden. And because of that, our relationship with God was fractured. And Jesus is God coming into full frame to carry our burdens and our very flesh, to carry our sin and our guilt and our shame and everything that might be flying into your mind as we're talking this morning that you don't like about yourself. And he took it all upon his shoulders. And as he died, so too did our sin with him. And as he was raised, so too can we be with him so that that relationship that was fractured can be restored. That is the gospel. Now, now these verses are amazing. Some people say they're a poem. Some people say they're a hymn or a song. And don't we get a lot of information from the songs that we sing? It's why it's important that we, we, we test what we're singing um, because we get a lot of our theology from our songs. Is this a song and a hymn? Is this a theological statement? Well, you know, that's in there and we're going to cover that over the next couple of messages. But, but here's the thing. I don't want to introduce you simply to a theological statement or a belief system today. I want to introduce you to a person. His name is Jesus. It's the name that is higher than any name that you can conjure into your head right now. A person, Jesus. Oswald Chambers says there's a vast difference between devotion to a person 
and devotion to a principle or cause. As Christians, we can get sidetracked with the principle and the cause, and we can neglect the person. Always, please, church, pursue the person first. Always. And that's what I want to introduce you today. Not, not about a doctrine or a theology, but a person of Jesus Christ who came down to change things for us. And there's three words I want to look at really briefly. I'm going to follow this up with three questions. Margaret loves this when I say three. She's like, woohoo! There's a Baptist in there somewhere. But <laughs> like three, three words I want to look at, three questions. And the, and the first word is that word, in fact, let me go back there, where it said nature, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he took, look at this, the nature of a servant. Now, the word actually is morphe, Okay, morph, to morph. It's like talking about shape, it's form. Jesus, who was the very form and substance of God, that's what we're talking about here, and yet made himself the very form or substance of a, of a servant. It's like the queen who has amazing form, like even if she dressed down, I think she'd still look like the queen. But it's like her dressing up as a homeless person and hobbling into church. Like, like that's the kind of thing, like, that'd be shocking. If the queen came in here and said, oh, let me make you a brew. You know, let me, oh, can I just, like, clean your shoes for you? Like, you'd, no, no, you're the queen. Don't be ridiculous. God, God makes himself a servant who being the very nature God so the first word I want to look at is form, the very substance or essence or nature of God. He is the eternal word that John was talking about at the beginning of John's gospel. If you don't know what it says, it says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, that word is Logos, but we know that word is Jesus. He is the word of the Father. And he was there in the beginning. He was with God, was God. That's Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Not an image because we're, we're made in the image of God, right? We're like an image of God. We have characteristics of, of our characters who are, are godlike. The capacity to love, create, you know, things like that. Wisdom. These are all God attributes that we can have and we display. But Jesus doesn't come as an image of God like somebody created. He is the image. If you want to know what good God looks like, look at Jesus. And Colossians... 116 says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's this Jesus. I want you to know Jesus is God. It's really clear in scripture, okay? He is part of what we call the Godhead. He is God. Uh, and we know that all of the fullness of God is in Christ, all of it. But he takes on the very substance, essence, and nature of man. Found in the appearance of man. John goes on to say, later in his gospel, the word, 
became flesh and dwelt among us. The word there for, for, for um, dwelling among us or becoming flesh is tabernacled. He dwelt among us. It, if you think about where God's been throughout the history of the history, like at the beginning, he was in the garden. That was like a tabernacle. That was like the place. And then they built a tent for the ark of God to represent his presence. He tabernacled there. And then they built a permanent structure, which was the temple. And that's where God was tabernacled. That's where his presence was known. And now he's tabernacled in the flesh. Now he's with us as a person. And that means he's able to identify with you and me in every single way. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. Think of that. God is able to understand your weaknesses. At the minute, we're all asking, is Rishi Sunak capable of understanding our economic problem as he's quite rich? (laughs) Is, is he really able to empathise with people that are choosing between fuel or food right now? But God, how much more? All the riches ever are his, and yet he can empathise with our weaknesses. There's no weakness in God, but he can empathise with our weaknesses because he made himself weak. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Hebrews goes on to say, well, as he says previously, since the children, talking about us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. Jesus isn't God in disguise. Jesus is God revealed. God can be known through Jesus. And what does he reveal to us? He reveals that we may be able to approach God's throne of grace with confidence uh, and that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's from Hebrews 4. He, because he became flesh, can help us in our time of need. Where's God when I'm suffering? Where he's alongside me and he's suffered in my place as well. He's familiar with everything that cries out from my heart and everything that hurts, he's familiar in every way. Where's God when I'm bleeding? Well, he's bleeding for me and alongside me. Where is he when I'm grieving? He's grieving right with me and wraps his arms around me. And even in death and even in our sin, he is able to identify in every way with us, yet without sin, but he knows He feels, he understands. Jesus reveals, listen, this is for you personally. Jesus reveals that there is grace for you. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you did this morning or last night, whatever you looked at on the computer, whatever you've done with the money in your account or somebody else's account, whatever you've spoken about somebody else, listen, there's grace for you. There's compassion for you. There is mercy for you. He's been to the darkest place that you could possibly go. 
And he's brought a flame of hope, bursting with light into that darkness. That's what God does. Next time you feel yourself drawn to that strong temptation of sin, just know Jesus has been into that tempted place before you, tempted in every way, and yet he's brought light to that so that you can cling to the light rather than descend into the darkness. But it's him who does it. He is fully God and fully man, able to identify in every way. But as amazing as that is, it's still not what people expected. Because he emptied himself and became a servant. He made himself nothing, literally means he emptied himself. But what does emptied mean other than he was full of something first in order to be emptied? What are we talking about here? Are we, are we talking about his godness? His deity? Did he, did he put deity aside? Did he stop being God for the time that he was a human and now he's popped back up and he's God again? No, absolutely not. He has always been God. From before the beginning of time and way after this world is wrapped up. Always, always, always. But he came as a human being 2,000 years ago, and he exists right now as a human being, God and man, fully God and fully man. This is not what he emptied, because Colossians 2 says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. All of the fullness, all of the fullness. It is not a Christian thing to say that Jesus had to become a Christian that he had to receive God. He is God always, eternally. But he clothed himself in flesh. We're going to look at that a bit more next time, but Jesus didn't stop being God, but he did limit himself. Okay? He, he limited himself so that he could experience tiredness. You can see that. I'm not making this up, and I'm not saying something theologically wrong here. Jesus got tired and he had to withdraw. He, he, he was grieved to tears. He was moved by people's pain. He was vulnerable. He experienced hunger, temptation he experienced, poverty he experienced, death he experienced. Uh, we really wrestle with limitations, don't we? We don't like it. I, I remember when I was probably about 10, I watched one of the Superman films. I mean, there's like a million, so I couldn't tell you which one it was. But, but at one point in this film, Superman went into a cave and got rid of his superpowers. I can't remember how or why that happened, but basically he made himself just a man. Uh, and then he goes into this diner in, uh, in America somewhere, big country, but, but he basically like, has a bit of an argument with some trucker guy in, in, the, uh, in the diner, and he tries to stand up to him like he always does, but this guy just totals him, like wipes him out, like absolutely punches his lights out, and Superman's on the floor, like, kind of, and he's not a happy chappy at all, and eventually he goes back and gets his powers back and goes to sort this guy out, throws him through the window or something like that. But I hated that scene because I wanted Superman to have the power and just to deal with all the enemies because in our hearts, don't we, want somebody that can come alongside and just destroy all of our foes. And when we feel 
that the person that we think can do that lets us down or is weak, how quickly we move away from them. To be vulnerable, to be weak, to experience the effects of sin. In heaven, no guilt or sin could come near Jesus. He had full immunity, but when he stepped into flesh, he felt the full force of it. And it says, and we'll look at this next time, that he wasn't using his deity to his own advantage. It implies that he laid aside his rights in humility in order to become the world's servant. Indeed, Jesus laid aside his majesty. He did not lay aside his deity. And remember, Jesus isn't God in disguise. He's there that we can identify with God and God with man to reveal God. And what does Jesus reveal? That God at his heart is a servant king. A servant king came to lead in a diametrically different way to what our experience or expectation of leadership is. Don't we love a charismatic character? Don't we run after the wrong things? And I'll cover this more next time. But, but God comes and he shows himself to be humble of heart. Wow. It wasn't the king or the anointed one or the Messiah that they expected. Nothing in his appearance attracted people to him. That's what Isaiah says. He was gentle and humble, loved and hated. And after all the crowds and all the buzz, uh, by the way, a lot of that was more about what he did than who he was. That's why he gathered crowds, because he ends up in a garden of tears alone. My heavy load he chose to bear. His closest, his disciples, hitting the snooze button elsewhere in the garden. And then to a humiliating death of thieves and murderers. Obedient to death. That's a servant heart. Like he could have had anything, done anything. A thousand angels could have come to his aid in the garden. Just a word. And yet he chose obedience. That is who Jesus is. For the joy, he found it a joy, you know that? Even in the garden, even as he's wrecked with grief, there's a joy set before him. He, Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He saw joy ahead of him, and what is that joy? Your freedom. That was what was set before him. That is why he endured the cross. The joy of you having your relationship with God restored. That's his joy. So I'm going to ask three quick questions. How can you, you, know what God is like? How does Jesus serve you? And maybe the question that you ask the most, why is he obscured in my life? I'm going to try to do this in a way that doesn't feel rushed, but is <laughs> like kind of speedy enough. 
How can you know what God is like? Well, God's heart, his character, his behavior, it's all, I've said this, it's all revealed primarily in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what God is like, read the New Testament, read the gospel accounts. When you see that Jesus has compassion on people, know that he has compassion for you. When you see that he says to people, I am willing, you know that he's saying to you, I am willing to make you clean. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. What does he reveal? That God is gracious and compassionate. That he is for the outcast, the outsider, the sick and the sinner. That he is gentle and humble and that he's ready to embrace you, forgive you, welcome you, regardless of where you've been or what you've done. Excuse me. There is no sinner too sinful. There's no leper too infectious. There's no outcast too far from home. If Jesus was here during the pandemic, physically, he would have been into the nursing homes without any PPE. I'm not saying that that's like, like what we should have done or should be doing, but that's what Jesus was. There was no one too infectious for him to draw near to. There was nobody that he was going to be socially distanced from. No one. Okay, well, that's great. That's old news, isn't it? Like, Jesus was here. Wish I was here 2,000 years ago to have seen him, right? How, how can I see and know God now? Three things. Creation, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Okay, creation. Like in Romans 1, it says that he is revealed in creation since the very, very first part, since the beginning of creation uh, of the world. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood. If you want to know what God's like, take a look outside. Take a look at a leaf. Take a look at the, the new, not Hubble, but whatever it's called, the new telescope. Marvel at it because it reveals something of God's glory and power and creative beauty and that he loves you. And that he's just a God of extravagance and wonders that we can't even express. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside, draws alongside and reveals Jesus to our hearts. That's his job. The Holy Spirit is there to point you to Jesus. And when these things happen in church, anything of his Holy Spirit, it will always point to Jesus. It will never distract you away from Jesus. And anything, no matter what it is that seems to distract from Jesus, is not his Holy Spirit. That's how we can discern what's going on around us with the weird and the wonderful in Pentecostal churches. That is amazing. The Holy Spirit does incredible things. And yet the way that we know that it's him, it points to Jesus. It lifts our hearts to Jesus. It delights our hearts in Jesus. And then the third thing is the church. Believe it or not, because we get this wrong quite a lot, but the church, we are his body. The way we love each other is the way we reveal the love of God in our community and to ourselves. The way that we are unified together demonstrates the unity of God. It's really important. So you can know Jesus through creation, through the Holy Spirit, and through the church. But ultimately, meet him in person, read about him in the New Testament, know that that's, it's not a cold, dead, historical text, but a living, active 
breathing text that reveals a person, not a belief system. How does Jesus serve you? We're going to do these ones really quickly. He cleanses us. He, he washes our feet. That's what he did physically. But for us, 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and purify us. You can come to him, speak to him. He will cleanse you. Whatever you carry, no sinner, too sinful. Second thing, he reveals and reintroduces us to the Father. That's Jesus' job. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus points to the Father. The Father glorifies all of who he is. Jesus leads us home. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Jesus reintroduces us and restores that relationship. He gives us his spirit, as we've just heard, to reveal him. But he also lives to intercede and advocate for us, advocate for us. I'm not going to read you those texts. And if we do go deeper notes this week, then I'll I'll chuck those in there. But I want to finish here. Why, then, is Jesus obscured in my life so often? I think this is really the bones of where I've been getting to. So many incredible ways that we can know him. Scripture, each other, the Holy Spirit drawing alongside. God is a God who can be known, not an abstract concept. So why? My first question then is, do you know him? Have you met him or have you just been coming to church? And I don't mean that as a criticism or a hard thing. And, you know, there's no judgment in that statement at all. I'm asking the question. Like, my mum went to church for pretty much most of her life, almost 70 years. But she met with the risen Lord Jesus Christ one hour before she died. Do you know him? Or do you know a religion or a tradition? Do you know him? And if you don't, you can know him today. Come and see me. And I mean that. Come and see me. Or maybe you do know him, but you're really struggling. I want to put it this way. Quite often we find ourselves looking in the wrong direction. Jess and I went to somewhere in Scotland, a loch somewhere. uh, And it was one of the sea lochs. I think it was Loch Long. Uh, And there was like, there was a whale that just like went whoop out of the water. And I think one of us at one point missed it. Like the other one saw it. Have you ever done that? And it was like, oh, it's over there, it's over there. Uh, And I missed it because I was looking in the wrong direction. And sometimes we do that with God. We just get distracted. Why do we look in the wrong direction? Well, we might have an obscured view because of action, distraction, or reaction. Simon, do you want to come and just start playing while I'm doing this? Action, distraction, or retraction, sorry. Action is sin, pride, self. Like, it's really hard to be filled with Jesus if we're full of ourselves. And, and, and sin, I, I'm not going to give you a, a, a you know, brimstone, fire, hell, 
fury kind of preach right now about sin. Jesus came because he has compassion on you because of the grip that sin has had on you. And he's come to break the chains of that free. This good news. It's not bad news this morning that Jesus has come in with a big stick. I mean, if you've ever seen David setting up the chairs here, he's got a really long measuring stick. God is not there with this big stick to try and hit you for your sin. He's there saying, give it to me. Give it to me. How big is it? Are you struggling with pornography? Give it to Jesus. Are you struggling with bitterness in your heart? Give it to Jesus. Are you struggling because you hate yourself? Give it to Jesus. Because he's come to release you from that. He's come to break the chains. What are you addicted to? What do you frustrate yourself over? Give it to Jesus, turn to him. But our actions will always lead us away from him unless we turn. And the other thing is distraction, the things of the earth. Like what, what do we have to do? We can get so busy with life and families and jobs. And I'm not saying these are bad things, but they can be so distracting if the things of earth pull our attention more than the King of glory. The things of earth are going to go away. Jesus is around for eternity. You understand? Do you really want to hold the thing that's going to dissolve in your hands? Or do you want to grasp a hold of the King of creation and know him in your heart? And then the last thing is retraction, the deliberate removal of God. Maybe you've done that. We remove him from our schools. We remove him from our council buildings. We are trying to remove him from society and dirty his name in every way that we can with words like bigot and judgmental. And yet as we do that, we are turning our hearts and our eyes away from God as a society. Has there been a deliberate removal of God from your life? There's still grace for you. There's still grace. If any of these things that I've said are true, if you're struggling with anything of yourself, of your sin, of the things that distract or the ways that you retract, just bow your heads right now. God's not hiding. He's not in disguise. He's revealed in Jesus Christ. And what we see is a savior who loves. A God who is desperate to meet you, walk with you, restore you to life. So Holy Spirit, I ask you,